I am the Iron Fist. I'm the Iron Fist. I'm the Immortal Iron Fist. I'm Danny Rand, and I'm the Iron Fist. My name's Danny Rand, I'm the Immortal Iron Fist. Coming to you live from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki, it's the Raggedy Jam Podcast with your hosts, Raggedy Man and Pink Apple Jam. Hello and welcome to the Raggedy Jam Podcast. I'm Laurel Pink Apple Jam Watton Davis. And I'm Andrew Raggedy Man Watton Davis. And this is our month, September 2017, in comics, film, TV, conventions, making things and being excited about stuff. Because it's great to like stuff. And it's great to like stuff. It's great to like stuff. <laughs> people who are into things are definitely better than people who aren't. <laughs> I agree with that. Talking of people who are into things. Oh, we've got some feedback again. Yay! Yay! Thank you. So feedback from our last episode, which was episode number four thanks chris reed who says you did the right thing with not watching terminator genesis all the way through as it just gets worse as it goes on and it was bad fan fiction that had no business being a real sequel (laughs) thanks good i have a terrible thing of having to finish watching things that i don't like just because and chris has uh enabled me to not have to watch that now so thanks for that Laura hasn't even asked, should we, can we, nothing. It's no. been up on screen on several occasions. No, absolutely right. That was absolute piss. Uh, we also had a request from Chris to fix the sound, which we are trying. Hopefully that'll work. If any of you guys out there are sound takes and want to lend us a hand, please do. Oh, yeah. What other nice things have people said about us? Uh, Guy Mackey. Thanks, Guy. Another spoonful of the thinking person's conserve. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> Guy desperately wants to be on the Peaky Blinders at some point. <laughs> Fair enough. Jammy. Uh, Chloe Kneebone, after we spoke to her, gave uh, thanks for the shout out. You're very welcome, Chloe. Thanks so much for listening. She also gave us a smiley face and a sparkly heart. Yeah, not just any old heart, a sparkly, no, sparkly heart. heart. The best kind of heart. So thank you very much for all that feedback. As ever, we absolutely love it. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, and for a bit of fun, um, I asked people what they thought the collective term should be for listeners of this podcast, because we've now actually got like over a hundred people downloading this hopefully some of them are listening to it as well <laughs> um guy mackey uh said uh the raggedy trousered phil jamprothist <laughs> he can't even say it neither the can raggedy I. trousered phil perfect which is um yeah that's it's amazing in many ways. That's a name. I don't think we'll use it too much because it wouldn't fit on a t-shirt and everyone will just have fights over how it's supposed to be said. The Valmont said something that his mother should should be ashamed of. Yeah, no not thanks. not going to repeat it on here. Thanks, You're Rich. a bad man. Yep, awful. And Martin French suggested raggedy jammers. Wicky wicky wah. Wicky wicky wah. And uh, Laura thinks raggedy jamboree. And yeah, I only just remembered to write that down in the show notes <laughs> before we started to record yes, today. We have notes. Uh, yeah, so Raggedy Jammers, Raggedy Jamboree, and Valmont needs to have his mouth washed out with carbolic acid. Thank you for all those wonderful comments. Uh, thank you for any feedback we get. Uh, anything you think we should look at, anything we should think we should check it out uh, anything you want us to extrapolate more upon in our wonderful ways either bung it on the bottom of um our comments on social media fire it off to superfortresshg at gmail.com or generally just let us know and we will speak forth and as always thanks for listening so andy what have we been talking non-stop about for like an entire week you mean twin peaks the return <laughs> the bit with your name at the header <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that's the one So, yeah, back after 25 years, written by David Lynch and Mark Frost, following FBI agent Dale Cooper as he tries to make it back from the Black Lodge, back to Twin Peaks. Uh, It has a lot of the old cast and crew, along with various guest stars across the entire hour-long 18 episodes. And we did cover a lot of this back in episode three. Yes, we were just up to the midpoint before the mind-blowing... Episode 8. Episode 8. Yeah, I think we'd seen like 4 or 5 or yeah. something by that no, point. No, we'd seen episode 8. Had we? Okay. Yeah, we were still in shock from that. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give a bit of a warning here, because the season has finished and some of you may not have watched it. There might be some spoilers coming up. However, given that it's absolutely impossible to understand what happened in the series, we use the word spoiler very advisedly, because just because you know what happened in the show doesn't mean you have any clue what happened in the show. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, well, I was worried whether they were going to tie everything up and if they were going to resolve all the plot lines they'd established. My heart wanted <laughs> that 
to happen however my mind went <laughs> no you fool this is a david lynch production no we were lynched totally lynched it was brutal it was, it was so heartbreaking was, but things happened it was yeah he made it back to twin peaks yep evil dale kind of got defeated yeah possibly bob got punched into smithereens by a absolute deus ex machina that basically had i'm here to show what bad plot is all about uh by the immortal green fist the immortal green fist uh green fisted him into <laughs> what, what? Yeah. <laughs> say that uh, again audrey um i said it once uh audrey something happened with audrey uh yeah it was and then kind of maybe saved but didn't it's that Parallel paradox of Dale Cooper kind of saving, kind of not saving Laura, Laura Palmer. Palmer. Can might... Laura Palmer be saved? No. No. But it was it was very, very confusing. It was very nonsensical. Uh, I personally think is probably the closest we've seen to proper Cthulhu-style horror mm. in, t- in a TV show. Mm. Um, other than probably the Doctor Who era, mm. the 70s Doctor Who horror era, This is this is like one step above it because it's proper... You're not supposed to understand it. Some of it is too big and a lot of it just doesn't make sense to humans because it's outside their scope of understanding. Mm. So I think on that level, I thought it was very, very effective because you left it dribbling at the sides and not really knowing what's going on. And The ending is is horrific without anything really happening. The last half hour of the show, practically nothing happens. No. And it's one of the most terrifying sequences on a raw emotional level I've seen. Because there's no background music, they're just travelling in the car. So the fan fan theories have happened thick and fast. Um, The... I think it's fair to assume that episode 17, the episode before last, is the ending for Twin Peaks fans despite not being a complete ending. Mm. But episode 18 is the ending for David Lynch fans, mm. I think is a fair fan assumption that, that I've been reading. So when I finished watching this, The Return, my first reaction, pretty much throughout whenever I watch any David Lynch media, is of disbelief. <laughs> and it's a mild irritation due to all the loose ends. But then you can't stop thinking about it it just wheedles its way into your mind and then you fall down the internet k-hole and it's full of theories and hilarious memes about james's forehead i think really it's an inclusive experience there have been some really good internet discussions there's a twin peaks fan discussion group on facebook and everybody is so polite and it houses fans who are like truly disappointed by the ending but people asking why and not going into personal attacks Mm. and it's been really good to actually read a discussion a debate as opposed to just which the internet does a lot there's been some really funny jokes there's another one red lobster posting is Mm. another twin peaks groups and the first twin peaks meme group firewalk with memes (laughs) (laughs) and they have some hilarious jokes on there so once you finish watching it, in case anything is a spoiler to you, I think it's really good that The Return and us as viewers were part of the internet age when season three finished. When my mum and dad were watching season one when it came out, there was nobody they could talk to. They didn't... I think my dad had some comic book friends who were into it, but my mum, absolutely nobody was mm. watching it. And she was like, oh, she really lived for each episode at the time. Whereas now, pretty much most people have heard of Twin Peaks. And I think now that it's finished... <laughs> they will have now. It's that <laughs> show that made bugger all sense. <laughs> and continues to make bugger, bugger all, sense. all sense. But I like how it makes you think differently. And I think as a work of art, I think it works really well as a piece of pop culture. But it doesn't tick the stereotypical boxes that you want from a TV show. So if if you want your your straightforward storytelling with your narrative twists and whatnot, Twin Peaks is not, not for, for you. you. But if you if you're happy to sit down and just give something a try and then see what you come up with, I think it's well worth an exercise, really. The one thing I said, well, you mentioned it's a very inclusive um, thing on the groups. And the, mm. the, the forums have amazed me because there are so many different theories and so many competing theories going mm. out there. But there hasn't really been, like, other than the is it good, is it bad mm. factions. Because mm. there's a lot of people who just got to the end of it and just went, what? 
what? That's eighteen. <laughs> that's eighteen hours of my life. Down yeah. waste. It's a, than... an eighteen-hour film, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you if you add on the series, if you if you take the whole thing as a single mm. piece, you're looking at, at easily twenty-four, forty-eight hours of content. Mm. Other than that factionalism, the actual what happened at the ending faction is pretty minor because everyone's throwing forward ideas. So, mm. so that's pretty inclusive. But the, I, I, I'm wondering if the inclusion is because um, David Lynch has and Mike, Mike Frost have basically said they're never going to explain it. Mm-hmm. So, it's like that. Anyone can come in with a theory. It's like that Eraserhead quote. Yeah, what was it, it was uh, in, in an issue with David Lynch. He, he just went, "Oh, Eraserhead is my most spiritual of movies." To which the um, to which the interviewer went, would you care to elaborate on that? And he just went, no. <laughs> and that's... That, nope. That's, nope. That's because um, there's never... You can never know if you're right. The inclusive part comes from you're not wrong and you're mm. never going to be wrong. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting way to approach yeah. media. So it's purely... it's it, Any any critique of your theory is about the workings out. Mm. You, However, you can't disprove it. So mm-hmm. people... I mean, I, I've seen conflicting ideas, both of which I think are equally good. So, as you said, it's a piece of art because mm. you can keep on looking at it and chewing through it and more and more and more. It's I've, I think some of it is also a comment... Almost like a meta-commentary on storytelling, especially in mm. the age of uh, remakes because... Mm-mm. As, as Laura said, you've got the episode 17, which is kind of the uh, fan-happy ending, and then you've got episode 18, which is the art house ending. Mm. Um, an awful lot of people have been running episode 17 and 18 in parallel. They've also been running episode 1 and 18 in parallel. For some reason, an awful lot of people have decided to run lots of episodes together or backwards or reverse because they think that will unlock it. Well, and was... maybe the claw will come out and grasp <laughs> you and pull you through to the lodge. The red lobster claw. Yeah. The that came up in a piece on the platform medium someone said hey 17 and 18 are supposed to be watched at the same time and then of course the group went oh my god so i think someone's put it up on youtube there's a, a like a download link someone's it's, done a, a naughty splice but you know it's one of those things and thankfully with the community the way it is at the moment this means there's been a lot of piss takes done i think someone's mm. recently run the the uh, twin peaks credit was with the spongebob square pants intro <laughs> the thing is is that the um, with the ending of 17 you have got as I said you've got this character that's introduced literally as the deus ex machina he is that's that's not a criticism that's he is introduced as that it's this guy who's been given this sole purpose to turn up into Twin Peaks and punch Bob in the face and he's presented as that from the opening yep um You've got everyone back to you've got the gang back together in a room. Everyone's jolly happy, and you've got this mum's apple pie ending that looks really fake, and then it cuts straight into the weirdness. Mm. Um, and then you get the situation where Coop essentially tries to save Laura Palmer. Yeah, and but then it, it, he can't. Yeah. And that's the whole thing because we're presented with this hero character because Dale, mm. Dale is very much the White Knight hero character that his whole reason is to try and save Laura Palmer but she's dead. So you can't, he can't ever feel the whole thing is futile and pointless. It's my theory. I could be wrong. David Lynch will never tell me that I'm, no. I'm wrong though. Well, so. And therefore you're not wrong. Yeah. So once this had simmered in our minds for a week, we went, hey, <laughs> hey I know. We've what? got two hours. Let's watch Firewalk with me. Yeah, because uh, I hadn't actually seen it. Um, I'd seen season one, two, mm. then watched season three, and then I thought, hang on a minute, because a lot of fan theories said, well, if, there's a lot of things in Firewalk with me that make sense for season three, but actually season three made Firewalk with me make sense yeah. to me. Um, there are there are many things. The name of the woman in Laura Palmer's old house, the uh, evil entity that's touched upon quite clearly in season three called Judy. Judy. The parallel dimensions and crossovers and so on. So, to yeah. give you a quick intro, it's the 1992 prequel to the TV series. It was done as a film. It's essentially the last week of the life of Laura Palmer. There's some intro from the FBI Blue Rose project as well, which gives an intro to um, a lot of the dialogue in season one about the missing FBI guy and, and all of that stuff. It also shows the actual death of Laura Palmer, which is, as you'd imagine, pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's horrific. Mm-hmm. And it's horrific. It's not, I wouldn't say it's viscerally 
horrific. It's not. It I, wasn't as gratuitous as no, I thought it would be, actually. But it was harrowing because oh, of what happened in absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, it also gives some more details on the Black Lodge, allegedly, uh, and a lot more into the basic depravity of the Palmer household and that whole situation. I thought it was really effective horror. Mm. The surrealism in it is quite rushed and bridged. It's very quick, isn't it? Like You get some really gruesome close-ups of things. Yeah. Like that soup eating and the inside of people's tonsils and it's you can you imagine watching them on the big screen you'd be like Ugh, yeah <laughs> what's it, that it's, <laughs> gross it's, by itself if you didn't if you watched it by itself it's awful it it's just inconclusive it makes no it is a prequel to the tv show mm-hmm. by itself it is nothing because it was released after the TV show, knowing what you did, it actually really works. It makes certain things make more sense. It makes other things not make sense in a good way. And it draws out small characters. But yeah, I think for anyone who's who's chewed through uh, the Twin Peaks, I think Fire Walk With Me is definitely a, a, go, a goer. Absolutely. Yeah, don't watch it on your own. No. Uh, on its own, rather. Um, but watch it after season three. I'll probably say after season three now, actually. Mm. That was the order I watched it in. Mm. Andy watched it in chronological order. Season one, season two, Firewalk With Me, season three. I, I ended up I ended up watching it because I'd, I'd watched the originals on TV. The latter part of season two had bored me to death because it was pants and turned into this weird soap opera comedy thing. And then when I got to uni and it came out, or it was it was doing the rounds, sorry, a, a people went and got the movie because it had David Bowie in it. And I was mm. sitting in a room filled with David Bowie fans. And they were watching it for Bowie. And Bowie turns up 15 minutes in and is never seen again Eighteen after 18 minutes in. I bet they were and sorely they were disappointed. <laughs> they were fucking livid. It but was brilliant. You can, you can split. Much like those David Bowie fans, you can split Twin Peaks viewership into Twin Peaks fans who really loved the happy-go-luckiness of mm. season one and David Lynch fans, which I think you kind of have to be to get through three. and get anything out but, of season two, Firewalk yeah. With Me, season three. But yeah, but when I watched the original Firewalk With Me, I was a lot younger, but I, I really didn't think it did much mm. because it was interesting because it showed the... It gave you more detail on the death of Laura Palmer, but all I was interested in was the whole Agent Cooper thing. So it wasn't that effective to me, and I honestly think it's yeah, as you said, from from someone who watched it in the correct sequence mm. of release, I do think it works better watching that as a follow up. Plus, it ends on a kind of uplifting moment. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But it's depicted in a really hokey way. But you kind of feel really relieved mm. yeah as you say um yeah i think it could have been done a lot differently however i'm glad it was done he wanted to do a surrealist horror show yeah it's not supposed to be happy go lucky fun time no i mean poor laura palmer i mean that's the crux of twin peaks what who killed laura palmer that's no spoiler that was like the opening tagline of episode yeah. one season one um but yeah poor laura palmer great actress mm. as well exceptionally sad story one of my internet friends, Maura McHugh, uh, she's known as Splinter Online. She's actually written a book uh, a month or two ago called Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me via Electric Dreamhouse Press. And it discusses how Firewalk With Me is hugely indebted to the TV series Twin Peaks, but that the film exists actually as a separate artefact and it possesses its own unique identity. So now that I've seen everything, mm. I think I'm going to start buying some books now. Um, there's a Mark Frost book as well, Secrets of Twin Peaks. Mm. So uh, come payday, I think I'll pop those in my shopping basket. I would be interested to give that a read because mm. I agree that it's very different to the show, mm. but it's nothing without the show. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. But that's covered, isn't it? It's got its own unique identity. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, now that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for writing that. Yeah. Look forward to getting and that. As ever, we can't prove it wrong because he won't say it's wrong. <laughs> so. you're, you're not wrong, Andy. We're not wrong. So after being miserable, what did we do, dear? <laughs> well, at the time of recording, we're about halfway through Bojack Horseman season four. <laughs> so uh, Bojack is an American animated sitcom set in Hollywood actually now called Hollywood due to a season one joke. Yeah. And it follows ex-celebrity Bojack Horseman, who is actually a horse. Uh, animals and humans cohabit Hollywood. Um, Will Arnett plays Bojack, 
Amy Sierris is Princess Carolyn, who is Bojack's Persian cat agent. Alison Brie as Diane Nguyen. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, uh, Diane is a ghost writer and kind of a sort of love interest. Paul F. Tompkins is Mr. Peanut Butter, um, who's Diane's husband. Um, and Bojack's nemesis because he's super happy-go-lucky and like the polar opposite of what Bojack is. Also his neighbour and probably his second best friend. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And Aaron Paul as Todd Chavez, who's Bojack's best friend, kind of not, kind of house guest. And he's a constant kicking post. You're right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, um, yeah. So come season four, Bojack's kind of realised he's an absolute arse of a person and kind of trying to make amends but he's Bojack so he gets it terribly wrong and he goes away and he comes back and everything's awful and it's hilarious we laugh at his his futility yeah depression is a funny one because it keeps you in that cyclical loop of Mm. comfort even though it's absolutely wrong for yourself and everybody else around you Um, being as it's a perspective disorder and very difficult to get to grips with when you're trying to push everyone away Bojack does it in this really literal cartoon sense, you can see what he's doing and he hates himself for it. And everybody else completely sees what he's doing and do kind of hate him for it. But again, they're all sort of stuck in a similar parallel mm. cyclical situation. Yeah, mm. cyc- cyclical situation. It It's interesting because it's also, it, it's a very contradictory show. So, uh, a large chunk of the humour is the uh, first world problems thing. It's like it's literally set in Hollywood. It's it or Hollywood because he knocked over the D in the first season, and then every, rather than anyone going, the D has been knocked over. They all started referring to it as Hollywood. It, it, a lot of it is about the, the 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 vanity of fame. It's about the the pointless little trials and tribulations that rich people have that actually aren't a problem and at the same time it presents him as a truly sympathetic character who's had a truly awful bunch of experiences and who has got a tragedy in his life but it's at the same time it's also pity and pointless it, it's this you never know really no one's bad guy no one's good guy but no one's in a terrible situation no one's in an awful in a good situation it's um yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's, it also makes you laugh like a loon. Yeah, we were we were hooked from season one. Uh, yeah. It is heartbreaking, but it and it really leaves you feeling really empty and pretty raw. Um, but it's also really funny and it's quite heartfelt. So there is that good balance. Yeah. Um, and I think it's one of those things you have to watch to get it. And I think those folks that maybe haven't felt depression maybe they won't get it i'm not sure maybe it will explain what depression is to people i'm not i'm not sure but i think most people have felt the same way but of course in the holly hollywood cartoon environment that they're in they they ask and they say and they emote these questions that you probably could never say out loud but of course because they're all stuck in this cycle they do end up saying these things and that's what makes it sad and funny at the same time it it is i i would say it's one of those shows where if you watch one or two episodes and you don't like it, that's it. Mm. It it's a very it's not. You need to connect with it, and if you don't connect with it, you won't connect with it because it's not going to do anything different. It does what it does. Um, no one's right, no one's wrong in this situation. It's it's just it, it's a very specific style of comedy. Mm. It's black comedy without being horrific. Mm, because um, it's in this cartoon land. Yeah. So, yeah, it can deal with dark things. But, yeah, but the, the yeah. dark things are, are real things. It's also like in this season, it's also going over relationships. Um, yeah. Which is pretty cool. But one thing I said, I mean, like the attention to detail in it is something that's really struck me. The background jokes, the background characters. The running gags. The, that, the gags that yeah. just never stop. But other, like, just on an animation level, there's a point when um, someone's slowing down the car, and just in the bottom right corner, you can because the angle you can see the speedo and the numbers go down properly. Mm, that's clever. And it's, yeah, you, you it's why. That. Mm. Yeah, why did they bother putting that in? Well, it makes it that it makes this very unreal world more mm. real. Yeah, and it just it's just dumb. 
And yeah. Genius, definitely, it's a show I keep on keeping an eye out for whenever it's on. Absolutely just chow through it. Much like I do everything else, but... Talking of things we chowed through, The Defenders! Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. After two years of build-up, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage and Danny Rand, who's the Immortal Iron Fist. Have I not mentioned he's the Immortal Iron Fist? <laughs> Has he mentioned? Has he mentioned? <laughs> His name's Danny Rand, he's the Immortal Iron Fist. In case you didn't get that, Immortal oh. Iron Fist, Danny Rand, Danny Rand, Immortal Iron Fist. Finally meet up and beat living shit out of the hand in New York. Uh, we find out what they've been doing drilling through New York. Some kind of magic oil thing it's never really explained and it makes no sense Sigourney Weaver turns up and is brilliant as Alexandria uh Rossia Dawson continues being Claire Temple and just frowns at everyone with complete contempt and is brilliant um people get punched yeah uh plot happens it's great I recommend everybody watches all the independent series though first to get the most out of the pen- mm. the defenders so uh to me daredevil is a bit of a different vibe it's a bit more visceral um and i think the defender series overall it feels a bit more like the luke cage or jessica jones series in tone to me yes i, I will buy that but well, they were kind of the standout characters because mm. iron fist did shit all other than moan um daredevil was wandering around being Mookie. And those two got on with it. Mm, they didn't, they? I think they, 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 for me, they had a lot more drive and a lot more... Yeah, I think Jessica Jones has black humour, whereas Luke Cage do, has pure goodness. Yeah. And I think the balance of the black humour... I mean, Jessica Jones, she's dreadful. She nicks a can of booze from a tramp. <laughs> for God's sake, she has problems. There was a moment. So, mm. She was responsible for, for an absolutely lovely moment. Um... She basically turned around and went, yeah, right, whatever, I don't believe this, and, mm-hmm. and didn't join the group. Mm-hmm. She then went and looked into it further, and without any like cheesy revelation or impromptu deus ex, or just without any flange, flange attack, she just turned around and went, huh, well, I've assessed the information, and yeah, okay, I'll believe you. It was th- She just went and did the logical thing. Yeah. And was logical and went, no, oh, right, it probably is true, okay. And the, 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 Yeah, internet, learn from Jessica yeah. Jones, for God's sake. As a crossover, mm. I actually think it was less effective than the couple of episodes where Jessica Jones met with Luke Cage in her first season. It just felt a bit... Well, it, was, it certainly kept me hooked, but it wasn't... I don't know. It was nowhere near as bad as the as, as Iron Fist was. God, no, it couldn't have been. No. I think they learnt their lesson from that. But yeah, like we said last time, poor old Iron Fist. It was uh, marred by 12 weeks worth of training and a slashed budget. So of course everybody was comparing it to Luke Jones. Yeah. Luke Jones? Luke Cage, Jessica Jones and Daredevil when it wasn't on the it, same par, which is unfair. The character of Iron Fist does up his game in this season. Yes. And the actor is, the actor is doing the best he can with what he's given. Yeah, yep. But he's still just a bit of a dick. Um, I think it sets everything up for the next season in its constituent shows. So Daredevil's got a huge amount of plot line. Um, Jessica Jones got feed in. Luke Cage's got feed in. Iron Fist has got feed in. I think the next one's going to be Daredevil. So everything's nicely set up. How much they'll carry on with the Defenders thing, I don't know. Especially with the news they've got that Netflix is losing all of its um, Marvel stuff. No, because Disney is setting up their own. Yeah, because we got the splintering. Oh, of, for God's sake! On demand. Yeah, so, we do. Gosh, it's turning too expensive to follow yeah, everything. Yeah, we're gonna have to. We're, we're basically gonna stop watching a lot of stuff because we can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Because you know if they're doing a. I'm not gonna sign up for the Disney Channel just for the Marvel. No, can't afford it. That's really bad. We're gonna. Ha- I reckon we're gonna have three or four years of, of 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 stuff breaking out and getting more and more expensive until guess what? Piracy is gonna come ramping back in and crush yeah. it all again. That anyway. That that's a bit of it. But yeah, one thing I would say: the hand was dumb as hell. Mm. The hand I've not liked at all since um, Daredevil season one. They're dumb. They're needlessly destructive. They basically went, "Well, we're gonna destroy the city. Why? So we can get this thing under the, under the." ground oh won't that cause much attention well yeah but we don't care Mm. oh well you all seem to be wiped out because of your hubris Mm -hmm. or you could have just 
done something sensible and mined it with a bit of health and safety and you'd have been fine. And you wouldn't all be dead, you dumb dead bastards. Good Still, on. it was a laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'd recommend it, absolutely. Fight scenes were punchy. Wah, wah, wah. Jessica Jones was salty. Luke Cage just just is a hell of a guy. Iron Fist, yeah, whatever. Oh, Daredevil's a whinger. She is the queen of salt, though. <laughs> uh, Misty Knight. Mm. She was brilliant. Um, I think they handled the cutting off of her arm really well. As you <laughs> do. Weird. But let's let's be honest. The true was night nurse. Yeah, so. the true hero is night nurse. Basically. The true hero is always night nurse. Talking of dumb people dying an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that leads us on to Game of Thrones. Yay! Yay! So the seventh season is finally over. Not many people died. Shock horror. We've got another eighteen months to wait to see more of Jon Snow's ass. <laughs> Yeah. The Fibonacci spiral. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Fibonacci spiral of Jon Snow's Yeah, butt. the golden ratio of bum. Um, Thanks. That was great. Everybody appreciated that. So, yeah, 10 out of 10. It was... Oh, that so, was such a shoehorn scene. It was, but we basically... I mean, I'm not disputing the arse factor. Well, let's not spoil it for people that haven't seen it. So, we basically... No one's not seen it. Oh, it's stuff. Game of Thrones. Shh. Legally, you have to watch it to, to a brief... It's the hugest show on telly. Yeah, yeah. So, we caught up with everything thanks to Now TV. Yeah. And the upcoming season will be worth the wait. I don't actually find Game of Thrones particularly compelling series. It's all right. It's enjoyable. I'm happy to watch it, but I don't obsess about it in yeah. the slightest. Um, I still can't remember half the characters, the cast's names. Um, I Arya think it, was awesome. Yeah. You know, Cersei, Arya, Arya's sister. What's her name? Sansa. Sansa. Cersei, Sansa, Arya. They're my top three. Yeah. Um... I'm not much into fantasy, I think, no. but I really enjoy drama. So, I'm I'm not much into fantasy either. But there's something about it, mostly Arya, that keeps me watching. Mm. And I think they had an incredibly difficult job this season because, apart from anything else, it's gone huge. You actually look at the viewing figures for mm. it; it's ramping up. Mm. And they had to get everyone; they had to get everything lined up for season eight which is quite a hard job. And they did it relatively well. I mean, there were a lot of things happening in this in the season that just annoyed the tits off me because it was previously intelligent people doing dumb shit. Mm. And that always annoys me. It looks like it's going to be interesting. Again, going to have to see how, how it pays out because what do they do with the final season? Do they, do they have like one, one major character death an episode? Do they have, um, you know, lots of people die at the start and then they paddle it out? Do they wait until the final episode and then it just goes knife mental you have to ask this because one of the big founding blocks of game of thrones is the oh my god no one's safe anyone can die element yeah and the fact that there weren't as many deaths in this season just made you go what yeah but all about the death and dying of fictional characters it's uh come on guys i mean a dragon died but that was hubris or did it or did it it died it got better but that was just because uh khaleesi's dumb when it comes to fights or inexperienced um, she's done because she hasn't spoken to any of the amazing generals and that she's got on her side and gone, what am basic tactics? How I am used dragon? I just think she could have, you know, she went across a massive great ocean and instead of just spending the whole time standing there going, in five weeks I will look impressive in my winter out- outfit. I think she could have asked the generals a couple of questions. Winter fashion is coming. Winter fashion is coming. Oh yeah, and the people at King's Landing are incredibly dumb because you're in in this uh, place that like has these apocalyptically bad winters. And they know this, and they still did like an ancient Roman Mediterranean style building. So people are going to die from hypothermia because the architects just forgot about the winter that turns up every 50 years and freezes everyone to death. Stupid architects. Stupid architects. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, bring it on. But, yeah. 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 18 months to go. And then we've got the splinter shows, which I probably won't be watching. Yeah. Ho hum. Ho hum. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Is it Dane? Dane Dehan? He stars as Major Valerian and Cara Dalvin. 
can't pronounce her name either, sorry. A Sergeant Loreline, space and time travelling agents for the Galactic Police. Police! Who end up in a perilous mi- on a perilous mission to save the city of a thousand planets, the International Space Station in the 28th century, in Luc Besson's film version of the famous French comic book series. I have a very contradictory view on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a great movie, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it isn't. I mean, it, complex. It's <laughs> the, the 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 setup for it is pretty straightforward. The characters in it are. Uh, I'm not going to go into the depth of the plot because the plot is almost an irrelevancy because you can see it. You can you can mostly see it coming. The characters aren't massively well formed, if nothing else, but because Cara Delevingne can't act, <laughs> she doesn't even do a convincing version of herself. Okay, and. The action sequences aren't that great. There's nothing really exceptional. But the world the guy built, the world, the environment, you care about that. And it's really intriguing and it's really interesting. And it's Every single frame is crammed with like a million ideas. Mm. And every single frame looks like a work of art. Mm. So like the, the, the opening sequence where they've got, the, um, uh, they got this brilliant conceit. If you've got the, the, a load of tourists turn up to a completely open desert... And they're actually going to this intimate dimensional bazaar whilst wandering around with these effectively VR helmets travelling to another plane and this this multi-levelled um, old you know, like market a, a square. Mar- it's, it's a bit bigger than a square as well. It's like this market area, this, this market huge planet. market area. Yeah, and yeah. you've got this cross-dimensional fight going on. And I'm watching it and I'm going, this is Bobbins. <laughs> and I have to watch every second. It was compelling, Bobbins. Oh, yeah. No, no I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it yeah. was totally what I wanted from this comic book adaptation. Mm. I knew it wasn't going to adhere to Hollywood tick box again. No. And many because they really don't work. As mm. you said, you know, the acting's a bit iffy. That first scene where they're having a tussle on a beach just felt really awkward. And, yeah. You know, many bits did, just didn't work. But there are a lot, such a lot that do work. There's, there's... And, and it was well worth a watch on that big Absolutely. screen. Totally. Yeah. And it felt like that there was such a lot that fit in and you were given, again, value for money. It was a long film for your cinema ticket price. You felt like you had read an entire graphic novel. Mm. It was really conclusive and it really um, ticked a lot of boxes for me. Mm. Um, Yeah, so uh, (laughs) Besson really enjoyed making it. And you can feel that. And in his excitement, he's actually written two sequels just in case they get picked up. Maybe it won't. But the fact that he enjoyed it that much Good for him. Well, there's you know. so many ideas just lying around the place, and it's mm. it's not that they didn't, it's not that they they never developed or there's like loose plot threads or anything. Mm. It's just you've got so many different worlds, so many different cultures, so many different things happening on screen. Mm. You could just grab any of them and run and do a football. There, there were some sweet bits in it, you know, there's oh, yeah. lots of heartfelt bits. So there is a lot to take from it. It just didn't match people's expectations. Yeah. And I really think people have to drop their expectations. You can't judge a film on its trailer anymore. No. Um, people get really opinionated about things that they haven't even seen. It's like, guys, at least hate watch it yeah. and then go <laughs> and write your opinion on it. But there's a lot of like keyboard warriorness mm. that's really swaying people with media and that's not good we're just going to get really shitty insipid stuff if people aren't allowed to make what how they feel and should be made and it's going to stop people connecting with those oddball moments i also think that there has to be room for stuff you don't like completely otherwise you're just going to get a really boring yeah Everybody this, likes the same sort of insipid crap, you know. I totally get why people didn't like this film. Completely. The Valerian was an objectionable little like. Uh, Lorelaine wasn't that well developed a character. There were a lot for a film that's for a film that's really trying to claim it's doing something new and outlandish. There are a bunch of tropes that you can see happening, and a couple of them are a bit, you know, a bit old, you know, out of favour, old school. But it kept me on my seat. It kept me watching. I didn't get bored. Uh, yeah, I did get. I got bored in the action sequences because the action sequences were a lot of stuff I'd seen before. As soon as they stopped doing the action sequences and went through this world and went through this environment that was just full of ideas that need, you know, that were brilliant and expressed well, I had an absolute whale of a time. It's like, um, how can I put it? You go to you go to a, an amusement park and you can go on the roller coaster. And the roller coaster's fun. 
but sometimes you want to go on the little uh, on the little park ride where you are uh, like the train track or the river ride or whatever and less happens in the river ride and on the river ride but you have so much more fun just looking at the things and hearing the stories coming up and to me that was that movie We've got to try out different things guys i just loved it I, I really enjoyed it even though it was bad another great one that was a twist on an old taste was uh, atomic blonde uh charlie theron's um no be- no, no charlie Th- charlie's theron charlie's theron Beating the living of a shit out of it, the living shit out of it. anything that got in her way in 1989 Berlin. Uh, it's a Cold War spy thriller. Uh, it had an absolutely filthy directorial style that was just so lurid and in your face and kinetic, uh, and an amazingly pumping soundtrack. Uh, yeah, she's in Berlin. Uh, it's a couple of days before the wall falls and she's got to find a secret agent a double agent and save the day and beat beat up anything that comes nearby definitely so the last third of the film it tried to squish in a lot but it was a very enjoyable ride Mm. yep start to finish more cool women kicking ass please Mm. and even though she was a cold character she was a very admirable heroine i felt very compelling as you said directorial style um Really good soundtrack, really. I thought it was really well cut. I don't think there are yeah. any boring bits, but some of our friends thought it was a little bit slow paced in, in areas. But it really, personally, it kept me hooked. I, I hooked it. I don't think she, I, I don't get why why she'd be described as cold. I don't think she was any more cold than like a James Bondian. Well, that's what I mean, type. love. She obviously yeah. can't be like, you know, she had she was getting on with the job. Yeah. So, yeah, there, were, there weren't particularly warm bits. I felt it was very functional, but there were moments of heart. Mm. But she was an assassin, essentially. So, yeah, she can't be like, hello, love, do you want to come in and have a cup of tea? You know, it was, she was doing her job. That's why I thought she was cold. But not unlikable at mm. all, you know. Yeah, I, I I think she did perfectly. You know, she she acted like the spy. It was great. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was... Uh, it was I didn't know it was based on a comic because mm-hmm. I actually thought we'd gone to the cinema to watch something that wasn't based on comic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, do it to trick you, darling. No, I, I had no clue. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was really fun. I, I thought the action sequences because a lot of it is just set up to set pieces. It, it's a Cold War movie. You're not going to get an awful lot of political com- commentary or social commentary. I thought the action pieces were really, really good because they were really close they were really tightly shot like like the way the city was presented everything was really close and close and they had just there was one sequence that got to be like about a 10 15 minute long fist fight that was exhausting that you were just getting to the end of it and you were just like oh my god please stop this is brutal um with her just holding her own and being very efficient yeah just smashing stuff into each other just absolutely lamping each other literally with a lamp yeah (laughs) The sex scenes in it, because it's a spy movie, so you got to have sexy time. Uh, they were really weird because they mm. were like, they had a lesbian sex scene in it that wasn't that erotic because you kind of got the feeling that she was just that the Theron's character was doing it just to get the job done. So it was. No, they were pretty hot, but yeah, they were hot, but not sexy. I don't know. Uh, was... Yes and no. I don't it... know. It didn't feel exploitative. It didn't feel like it'd be randomly thrown in. There was definitely some narrative happening during the sequence. Yeah, you didn't really see any bits and bobs. No, it was just no. kind of writhing around on a yeah. bed. You know, that's fine. But yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, I definitely agreed. The, the 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 final, the final twisty portion of it. Yeah, it was just too much. It was... Yeah, I think the pacing could have been sorted out with that. Yeah. It, um, it... But, yeah, I had to kind of look it up on Wikipedia afterwards. I was like, is that what happened? I'm not mm. sure. But, yeah, it was very fast and furious. If but it, well worth a rewatch. Yeah. yeah. If, if it, I just think they should have just gone, this is going to be a, a straightforward action movie. Mm. And it would have worked mm. a lot better without trying to shoehorn anything else in. Hmm. Talking of dire, awful trash. Really don't want to go on too much about this because it's, it's getting boring. <laughs> no. Oh, God. But uh, Andy's written on the on our notes. Death fucking note. <laughs> Some people you never care about do something for an hour and a half and you just want to tell them all to go away and stop being <laughs> awful. Oh, God. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what it's about, don't watch it. Um, it's bollocks. Yeah, it's I, en- I collected and read Death Note when it came out. It's... 
uh, how many books are on my shelf, Andy? Is it 12? 12, yeah. 12 books of Death Note exist. Uh, it was originally a Shonen Jump series published in English by Viz Media. Um, Artist-writer duo, very, very popular, very global themes, difficult high school students, blah, 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 trying to, you know, they find this magical notebook. Um, if you write someone's name in it, bang, they get done however and however you want them to go five yeah. minutes later or whenever you tell them to, then bang, they go. The Death Guard, Ryuk, is played by Willem Dafoe. He's really good in it, but yeah. I think he's criminally underused. Maybe yeah. that has something to do with the contract or something. I don't know. Um, it, but it, it didn't feel like Death Note and nobody kind of knew what it felt like. I think of Death Note is the there's a lot of rules attached with the Death Note. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this thing, because it was such a compressed version of the story, uh, they just rushed through that, and they, the rules only ever turned up when they would to- when they would change the situation, so it wouldn't work the way you wanted it to mm. work. So they were just this mystical rule set that you found out after it had altered everything, and that was really annoying. Well, um, if I remember right, that does happen in the comic, though. That's all part I can't of the... Remember the comic. As no, well as okay. Can. I thought it was a lot more. I thought it was a lot better explained in the comic from when I read it. Yeah. Well, the guy that played um, a char- the main character called Light, who takes the notebook. And writes people's names in it to get rid of them. He's a very different character. Light in the manga is a complete sociopath. Whereas this guy is just confused. And he's really shrieky. And there's nothing enamouring about him. He white knights this. He white knights people. And he befriends a character called Mia. And he tells her about the Death Note and everything. And then they go off on a mini killing spree with the death note and then they have sex and it's like oh my god that's really weird it's like it tries to be a young adult series but it's just so massively cringeworthy it's just done badly done so difficult the character of l who is in the comic book he's like a gothic guy super genius super genius he's piecing things together and it's cool he's played by a black guy and the american death note and but again you don't really get behind him the l was so quirky in the comic book and everybody kind of liked the confrontational style l and light had between each other but there was nothing he suffers from badly written sherlock holmes syndrome Mm. that he's never he's never smart he just pulls shit out of his ass for no reason Mm. there's been a lot of criticism going around suggesting that the problem with the show, with with this, is that it's whitewashing. Mm. Now, it's the whitewashing here is not a problem. Whitewashing is a problem. Mm-mm-mm. But, but death, in this in Death Note adaptation is not whitewashed. Yeah, in this in this setting, I don't. I'm of the opinion that whilst Death Note was written in Japan, I don't think it's an especially Japanese. No, story. no, it would have been sold much like Tezuka sold um, a Studio Mushy production to India about cricket. Mm. And in India, the story was produced with uh, localised teams. Localization, mm. um, even though it was a Japanese story written yeah. by a Japanese person for a Japanese company, it was sold to India so, and it was made with Indian so, uh, cast so yeah. that's basically what's happened with yeah. Netflix. It, the, the, the problem here it wasn't isn't, set in Tokyo. Yeah, it wasn't or anything. set in Tokyo. They did. They they had a couple of characters with the same name, but there's no massive cultural connotations with the name or anything like that. They literally picked it up, punged it somewhere else, and I don't think that does any harm to the story. I think the reason it didn't do well is because you can't take like 12 12 books of comic and shove it into an hour Mm. and a half with a bunch of preset beats. The story of Death Note didn't run that way. The conflicts didn't work, don't pan out in 90 minutes. They just super condensed everything together. To super condense it, they had to dumb it down. And they came up with a couple of little touches that were there just to bypass all the issues. And it just just failed because it was bad. Mm. And I'm talking real bad. I'm... It was just awkward. It was just yeah. awful. We, I think Jaws agape <laughs> by the time we finished watching it. And the musical choices were abysmal. When uh, one of the characters is falling to their doom, um, you've got a Celine Dion song in the background. Will, yeah. uh, I am your woman, the power of love. Yeah. You are my man. What the hell? Yeah. 
No. What? The person falling to their death is the lunatic woman that that uh, just basically try to kill everyone, and there's this mass homicide going on, and you've got this guy, and you're just sitting there, properly like we, we were disappointed with this. It, if you ever get the temptation to watch this, don't. If you ever, <laughs> if you want to ignore it and actually do watch it, just skip the last five minutes and watch that sequence, and you will just want it was. Ugh. I'm all in favour of people trying different stuff, and I'm all in favour of people, you know, having a go at shit. But this was just bad. So weird. So very <sighs> weird. So yeah. <laughs> the demons have left the building. <laughs> you can see them flying out the window. Oh. <laughs> Bye. But it's like what happened with Ghost in the Shell. It's like what happened with um, Dragon Ball. Massive, massive stories. Super condensed. That's why it didn't work. Oh, man. We went to the cinema to see Dragon Ball, didn't we? Dragon Ball Evolution. We went with our our friend who was a huge Dragon Ball fan as well. We just came out of that cinema and we were laughing. (laughs) It was all right. But, you know, it wasn't really a Dragon Ball film, was it? Anyway, moving on from death fucking note. No. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. On the plus side, we might see less Death Note cosplays at conventions. <laughs> Talking of conventions. Oh, yeah, good segue. What did we head off to? Well done. So, um, on the 5th of August, we went to NACC, not another Comic Con, the hilarious oh, no. name, for a new event. Um, I think a one off event. Who knows? Yeah. Nothing's been announced no, yet. No, he must the, do more. At the Novotel, Birmingham. The event was put on as the final project of an MA Events and Events exhibitions management course by organizer and coordinator peter burke lovely lovely chap chap. well done peter i think it was a grand success it was a very simple event it was old school event with new school elements i felt it was a room in a hotel with a couple of guests some amazing some not um a bunch of traders and a little bit of a gamey area at the back. There was a bit of a, a cosplay competition thing going on. There wasn't, you know, it was like a you could do the whole thing in maybe like an hour and a half, and easily in an hour. Um, but it was just nice. It was really cosy. Everybody was dead friendly. The gophers were adorable. They really looked after us. Yeah. Tea and coffee and water and biscuits. What else could you ask for? Absolutely nothing. And they did something that I am getting more and more and more in favour of. They curated the traders. Yeah. And this is something I am a huge believer in because it meant that each stall was doing its own thing. Yep. And I love that. No duplication. Yeah. Old school long boxes that you mm. can dig through, comics for a quid. That's, People that's buying comics. Yep, absolutely. Playing video games at the back, as you said. Um, indie but, sellers, um, autographs, yeah. stars, authors. Yeah. A real mix. It was like the contents of MCM Comic Con in that old school, small, cosy environment. It was off Broad Street in Mm. Birmingham. Birmingham is a massive city. I grew up in the Midlands, as you all know, and it's really hard to get around Birmingham unless you know the bus routes because it's so split up everywhere. Central Birmingham, then you've got Digbeth bolted on, and then Broad Street's up the Hagley Road, but there's like a thousand buses that go up and down. So I think it was a really good location. Um, I'm wondering whether the Novotel in particular have... A convention-friendly thing. Like, I've never seen a convention, really. I mean, Manami's always held mm. in the Novotel. Um, there was an... Was it the, an Ibis or is it a Novotel where Kitacon and the old Iacons used to run? I don't yeah. know. Anyway, I enjoy those small hotel environments. We ended up staying over in the hotel, which was a lovely idea. And then I got to show Andy around Birmingham City Centre after the event. Yeah. That was great. We fit in if, a lot that day. If he does another one, mm. and if he held it at the same place for the same length of time, with one or two minor alterations, I think it would absolutely be worth going to again. As a first event, I thought it was great. Yeah, because absolutely. Because he didn't pitch it too big. He didn't pitch it too small. You know, it wasn't two stalls and a, and a monitor. He was taking a lot of feedback and the feel of it and the intention of it was great. So I honestly think that could grow into something pretty fun and pretty yeah. distinct. By Because he himself said he didn't want to do anything huge because that doesn't last and because people don't enjoy, people don't enjoy it. There's a lot of 
conventions that spring up and the footfall is just pitiful. Mm. As a dealer, it's heartbreaking, um, especially if an event's two days long. You've basically spent your event to be sat behind a table and you've seen 50 people go past. It's There's so many conventions now. So I'm more than happy to try new conventions if it's easy for Mm. us to do it and it's not too expensive, easy to get to. But there's a lot of expectation that falls flat when it comes to trader points of view. Mm. Um, many, many versions. They, I think everybody just wants to be Comic-Con, but Comic-Con's been going for two decades. Before it was Comic-Con, it was MCM Expo. Before, I think it was still Expo, but it was more sci-fi and fantasy. The anime thing only came along 2005. Um, where Sweat Drop Studios were asked to curate the Artist Alley and so on. Of course, it's just grown into mm. the behemoth that we all know and love today. But people think organising shit is easy. Jesus Christ, it's not. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Andy and I have organised a lot of events. Uh, Andy's been DJing for a very long time. And you've got to enjoy it, but you've also got to see it from other people's point of view. Essentially, it's a big party, a big dealer party. And if you're just going to take people's dealer money dealer table money and people's ticket fee money hmm. yeah you're gonna have a bad time you yeah. know that event has got no soul so I mean, we didn't exactly clean house at north another comic con no it was such a lovely event it was a yeah. nice event. The, the other thing and this is a big thing i'm going to say to anyone organizing an event don't bother trying to be an mcm no. mcm already exists absolutely why do you Pe- want to be a copy do yeah. your own Pe- thing yeah i i honestly think there is a lot more space out there for smaller focused events yeah. that have a definite idea of what they want to be rather than people that just want to be someone else. And this event really felt like it knew what it wanted to be and it didn't want to be another MCM ripoff. Absolutely. So, yeah, you well. You can just go to MCM so many. You can just look at what, 80 year now or something? Oh, MCMs? something crazy like that. So, well done. Well yeah, done. That was a great laugh. Peter Burke, 10 out of 10. <laughs> we'll done do it again. good. Actually, we forgot to write down that we went to Bournemouth Comic Con. Yes. Um, for Bank Holiday Weekend. Yes. Coincided with our friend Louis's 30th birthday. Hi, Happy Louis. birthday, Louis. Uh, Louis and Andy actually share, share the same birth date. Mm. Um, so we always try and meet up and do something cool. Um, as well as Frenchie, who was with us in spirit, even though he yeah. was elsewhere. Um, anyway. So yeah, happy birthday, guys. Yeah. Uh, Bournemouth Comic Con was the first Showmasters event I'd done. Um, I think ever I used to do memorabilia with my dad when it was at the NEC in Birmingham when I was a kid helping him sell merch and comics however I think that was run by the group that eventually turned into Showmasters but I hadn't really heard great things about Showmasters events actually but I was pleasantly surprised yeah. by this again it was an old school convention it was at the uh, Bournemouth uh international center mm. the big uh so i booked a hotel right next to it <laughs> so that it, was good it was two trading halls yeah and one um talk area yeah and the trading hall it was the space pretty spacious even the corridors were filled up which mm. i thought was a nice touch plenty of places to sit down and eat mm. well catered for friendly staff i think even if the staff didn't know what the heck was going on they were very good they had a separate cosplay area yep which was nice the cosplayers were relative i think the cosplayers were relatively well controlled um i mean this is not a dig at cosplayers but if you get cosplayers turn up they're very high energy they're very high energy and they know what they're going to do and they're going to be all over the show. It can overtake. It can overtake. Having a separate area for it yep. meant that you that they were a little bit more contained. It also meant that if you wanted to go and see awesome cosplay and find out about cosplay and be in a very cosplay-centric area as a non-cosplayer, that area was so welcoming. Because if I went up there like one, once or twice and each time I walked in, there, I wasn't in costume. But they were welcoming and they were like, ooh, a potential cosplayer. That was that was That's very cool. Nice. That's that inclusive. That was cool. yeah. You know, none of this, ooh, you're not dressed up, you're not one of us yeah. nonsense things. You know, you don't um, want any of that. But my my personal highlight, uh, I went and uh, got my photo taken with Drake and Vesquez um, and the pilot from uh, Aliens. 
That was so exciting. That was really, really exciting. And he didn't realise they were going to be there. He had a little fanboy moment. It was very cute. Bless you. Watch their talk, (laughs) which was brilliant. And then I paid up good money to go and have my photo taken. And I've got to tell you, having a photo taken with 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 people like this is one of the weirdest experiences in my goddamn life. I have no idea to this day if I actually enjoyed it or not, because you got these three people who, let's face it, they they they're actors. Um, very wonderful, brilliant, amazing actors. And uh, they know each other really, really, really well. And then I'm suddenly thrown to the side of them and have a photo taken and then off I go. <laughs> That's it. And it's just Out. like... And it's just like... And it's a, it was a, a... You know, it was a, not a huge amount, but it was, you know, a notable amount of money for it. And I got that photo and I'm there with them, which is super wicked awesome. But the actual experience was kind of like this this press you know this this automated um production line thing that was strange because i'm there and i'm like oh, what do i do uh they're like come here come in the photo and i'm like where do i put my hands oh my god i'm touching Vasquez. Ah! um it was weird but you're glad you did it oh, i'm glad i did it yeah. but i don't know if i'd do it again yeah. but yeah it was pretty that was that was mental but meeting them oh my god <laughs> yeah so that was cool so yeah, meet your heroes yeah. if you can. If you That's can, nice. especially if they're smart gunners. Um, and our, our final event uh, was one that I actually just did yesterday. All um, by your Todd. All on my own. Um, it's I every I'm year. So <laughs> I'm not lonely. I've got loads of <laughs> familiar faces there. Thanks. Um, Will Adams Festival. This is held in Gillingham in Kent. Um, it was held yesterday in Gillingham Park. Uh, every year, it's a festival where you can experience Tudor England and maritime history, as well as Japanese culture from the 17th to the 21st century. There's there's taiko drumming, martial arts, living history and storytelling events. Um, I go and I meet my artist friend Chie Kutsuwada and from 11am till 4.30pm we are manga drawing machines. It's a first come first serve basis where we basically do manga portraits. We have manga chats, we encourage people to make their own comics. It's really, really lovely. Um, I've seen people grow up, have babies, I'll draw their babies in these portraits. Some of them come every year, they're pretty adamant and uh, they've been collecting my drawings year after year which kind of terrifies me somewhat and of course I have to draw as many as I can in those in that time frame no lunch you know bang I'll just go straight forward and do it and uh, when I first did the first one I was like oh my god what's going on um but now I'm like yeah it's fine I can do it no problem yeah it's interesting the techniques I've used I've drawn just pencil or fine liners and and past year or two I started using fude brush pens and to draw Instead of using the wrist to draw the details, I'll draw from my elbow as the axes, so it's less strain on my wrist, and I found that actually helps rather a lot. So I haven't had any drawing pain strains today, so my there's method in my madness, so that's good. So basically, who's Will Adams? So... Uh, the Will Adams Festival celebrates the life of Will Adams. He grew up in Gillingham during the Tudor period before becoming an experienced sailor in the Royal Navy. He retired, then he navigated a fleet of five Dutch ships from West Africa and then ran aground on the island of Kyushu in Japan where he was captioned, <laughs> for questioned and imprisoned as a pirate. Can you imagine this Tudor guy? Oh no. <laughs> uh, after being released, anyway, he was ordered to sail to Tokyo. So yeah. <laughs> the shogun was impressed with his knowledge of shipbuilding and navigation and Will Adams became a trusted aide and diplomatic advisor. As a reward, he was granted the honoured title of samurai and given a small estate in Hemi, which is now known as Yokosuka. Well done, Will Adams. Well, that, that's definitely a case of falling up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, what a life. So sure. yeah, there's a, a lot of Will Adams stuff happening in Gillingham. How lovely that that, um, that Japanese-English cross-cultural influence is so well celebrated Mm. you know it's everything i live for uh co-productions and you know adapting of styles i mean after all tezuka was inspired by disney so Mm. yeah so upcoming events upcoming events uh we've got uh nottingham comics con uh that's at the nottingham 
at the Nottingham Conference Centre. That's the 14th of October this year. Yep, one day event on the Saturday. Hope I, to see you there. Yeah, I will be uh, debuting some amazing new offensive badges that actually have colour on them this time. Sparkliness. Sparkliness. I am doing badges that sparkle. I'll leave it to you how bad that gets. Uh, what else we got? We've got in Cambridgeshire the Halloween free comic book day and the sixth birthday party of Niche Comics and Bookshop in Huntington. So we will be there. Happy sixth birthday. I might be running some uh, 90 Minutes of Mayhem horror sessions. Amazing. And I'm planning on recording them. Oh, God. (laughs) 90 Minute Movies. Ad-libbed. Amazing. Uh, we've got the Alternative Christmas Fair normally happening in December at the Bloomin' in Cambridge. That's not been announced yet, so we no, don't definite. I've wanted to mention it just in case with a question mark. Mm. Um, we will keep everybody posted. Again, if you're in Cambridge, it's a nice place to go and buy alternative things. And because we're getting very close to the new year... Well, yeah, yeah, I guess we are, aren't we, really? So 2018, we've got Peterborough Comic Con. Uh, this is in an arts place called the Cresset in Wrightwell in Breton, Saturday 24th of March, one day event we will be there Yep, and also, this is to be confirmed I've yes. poked the guys to uh, give us a confirmation but we're looking at going to Cambridge GeekCon, this will be in the Imperial War Museum in Duxford uh, Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of April 2018, so that's like the week or two before Easter isn't it, or something yeah. so there we go Yeah. busy 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 and that is the show for September 2017. Thank you for listening. And for all of those who contacted us with feedback and comments, thank you so much. We love to hear from people. If you have any thoughts on the show or things you want us to discuss, email us at superfortresshg at gmail.com or leave a social media comment. And if you like the show, please, please share it with your friends. Rate us online. Um, basically, get the world out there. Let more people know of our awesomeness. The Raggedy Jam podcast is a free broadcast available from raggedyman.net slash the raggedy jam podcast as well as itunes stitcher podcatcher soundcloud and as a back to school photo on facebook <laughs> the intro music called the game is on was written by ross Bujan, and we want to give a thank you to everybody who contributed meanwhiles to the show and the links are in the episode information so raggedy man can be found on twitter at raggedy man and his website www.raggedyman.net and Laura Pinkapple Jan can be found on Twitter at Biomecha Comic on fa- and on Facebook via the page Pinkapple Jan Art and has a website pinkapplejam.com. So uh, I've written a note here. P.S. Reset your sound. We are <laughs> we are playing with the volume levels. We do understand that the previous yeah. podcasts have been a little quiet. Um, so yeah, don't forget to turn them back down, else you'll yep. shit your pants. Uh, so yeah, please reset your sound. Until next time, everybody. Goodbye and farewell from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Bye. Bye.